I Love Mortgage Brokering, episode 33. Where the best mortgage brokers get better. I Love Mortgage Brokering with your host, Scott Peckford. Hi, Broker Nation. I am thrilled to introduce our guest today, Kyle Green. Kyle is a mortgage broker with Mortgage Alliance. He's based out of the Lower Mainland, and he's been a broker for eight years, and I'm absolutely stoked for this interview today. Kyle, are you ready to rock? Absolutely. Awesome. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Started when I was 19 years old, so now 27. For the last three years, our team is doing about $40 million in volume, and we're on track to do about $50 million this year. And our core business is working with real estate investors. So I got hooked up with a fellow named Ozzy Drock here in Vancouver and do a lot of public speaking and presentations for the group and have developed a niche with uh, worth working with real estate investors, which are a really large uh, part of our business. Nice. And so... How did you get into the mortgage business? Because no one goes as a little kid or even gets out of college and says, I want to be a mortgage broker. So what was your path from, although you got in there pretty young, how did, how did you end up in the mortgage biz? Well, I was at Douglas College. I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do, but for a little while there, I was actually thinking of getting into the stock trading. I'm somebody who works well under pressure and I was really interested in finance. So I quit my supervisor job at Tim Hortons and uh, and got a job at uh, Westminster Savings, which is a local credit union here in Vancouver. The biggest problem or issue I noticed right away was I hated the unionized environment. Uh, just couldn't stand it. Eventually, a good friend of mine from high school, who ended up being the rebellious daughter of the upper parent, her parents owned Meridian Mortgage Services, which at the time had about 22 franchises, mainly in British Columbia. And uh, they were looking for, as she put it, somebody to do some mind-numbing paperwork, and they were willing to offer me, I think, 10 bucks an hour to, uh, to work there instead of the 15 I was currently making. But shortly after, you know, during the interview, I found that this is one of those things where you start a little lower on the ladder, but you can climb up the ladder. It goes really high, and you can climb up the ladder as fast as you want, which is very different than what I was finding, finding very quickly at the, uh, the credit union. Yeah, isn't it, isn't that the truth? One of the problems I've kind of thought about with our industry is that there's not really an apprenticeship process. You know, like you take the course and then you're, you know, if you are lucky, you get hooked up with a brokerage that'll help you. But there's no like, you know, the course really just teaches you how to use a calculator. So, yeah. so when you first started out, how did was it? Was there a lot of sort of assistance in getting your feet going or getting going? Yeah, for sure. I was. We jumped right into the fire, so to speak. Was working on a team there. Randy and Susan Cowling had been in real estate and, and mortgage brokerage for about 20 years each. And Michelle Beat, who was there, who's Susan's daughter, had been a broker for, I think, about five or six years at the time. And she was the, the head broker of the team. So I got a lot of sales and operations training at the time. And I must admit, back in 2006, 2007, mortgage deals were a lot easier to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I oh, remember sure. first line, you could state, uh, state somebody's income with 25% down, even if they were an employee. And just tell the, the lender that they made a lot of overtime, and that's why you were stating their income. So things are a little bit easier when we first started. But the, our team was about usually there's about three of us, and we usually funded about 30 deals a month or so. So right away, young guy, go doing about you know about eight to ten deals a month myself right away with a lot of assistance surrounding me, and that's an experience that I'm extremely grateful for. Right, you learn that's you get learning curve goes away fast if you can be writing that much volume. Yeah, for sure. I mean, right away you do you do in a couple of months what most brokers do in an entire year, right? So mm-hmm. your experience level is, it, your age is not indicative of your experience when you get introduced into an environment like that. Right. No, that's awesome. So before we dive into your story, I always like to ask about a success quote because I find for me quotes really distill an idea down into something that you can take with you. And I, I love how they're, and it's a great reminder. So can you share a quote that's really impacted you? 
You know, I, I've tried to think about quotes that uh, that really impact me, you know, quotes that other people have stated, but, you know, this might be part of my story, which we'll talk a little bit about later on, but I think one of the most impactful things and changes that I made in my daily, my life and my career is changing my mindset into a positive mindset at all times. I want to be a person that people want to be around, they want to do business with, I want to be positive. It sounds a little hokey, but at the end of the day, I, I do feel that if you put out positive vibes out there in the universe, if you want to call it that, it comes back. It just, it does. I don't know how it works, but it does. And, and I remember when, uh, when I had probably my worst times, I remember answering the phone and not being in a positive at mood and atmosphere. And I've learned over time to just, whenever I feel like I'm having those negative thoughts, I'm consciously aware of it and I can change it. And life has never been, I've never really felt like, I've been, you know, not in control of my life, my career, and anything in general. Right. So it's basically, I'm trying to think how I would, how would I distill that? Because that was a, that was a lot of uh, content. So how would you distill yeah. that into something? I, some, a tweetable, something tweetable. Something tweetable. Okay. Always be happy. Okay. Cool. Or like that song. I'm, don't worry. Be happy. You're probably too don't young worry, for that. Don't worry. Be happy. Yeah. yeah. Like, honestly, you know, that's a really good one. Right. And you could, you know, do your put on your business card. So. Yeah. Another area that I find as a mortgage broker and an entrepreneur is that failure is something that just happens and failure is not fatal, but I always, looking back, there's always a lesson in it. And so can you share an example of something that you'd failed at and then, but looking back, there was a lesson and share the lesson that you learned? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's always a lot of little, little lessons and little failures throughout, but I'm definitely of the opinion that every single mortgage I do, anything I do in life, I always think, even if it was successful, in my opinion, I always think back and think, how could I have done that better? I'm a bit of a perfectionist that way. I don't let the perfection take over my life and get me you know, down in the pits because it wasn't perfect. But I think that there's a lesson to be learned through all experiences in life. I think the biggest one that I learned, as in going back to my last uh, you know, quote, if you want to call it that, was, you know, I think the worst, the worst time for me in the industry was in early 2009. And if you're, anybody who was a broker at that point in time, they probably remember it was really tough. No, there was no purchases going on in Vancouver for the most part. It was all the refinance business. And I had never at any point in my career up to the point and probably even you know, up to now, I'd never worked so hard for so little ever in my life. And it was starting to get me down. As a young sales guy, you, you know, you're and one of the first people in your group of friends to own their own place and whatnot, you, you spend a little too much, you know, when you're making good money and whatnot. And so I dug myself a little bit of a hole that way too, from a financial perspective. And and I started to change my mindset. I was I noticed as I eventually as I took a step step back and and out, I had an opportunity to leave the team and start my own business, and that gave me some time to sit back and think about how I'm going to do this and how I'm going to build my business the right way. And changing my mindset was a huge one. Answering the phone, always being fantastic when somebody asks you how you're doing. Making those small adjustments, people started to just say, you know what, I just want to work with this guy. I really like talking to this person. And I felt that I wasn't, uh, I wasn't getting back and forth between the client's bank and me. I, I, people just really wanted to deal with me so much that they weren't even talking to their bank anymore. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So one of my favorite sayings when people ask me how I'm doing is I say outstanding because everybody says, you know, good. And usually people are taken back. It'd be the same thing if you said fantastic because we seem to have this like knee jerk response when somebody asks us, how are you doing? Good. But we don't really, we're not even listening, right? So, yeah. Yeah. So is that how you answer it? Somebody says, how, how are things going? That's always fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Outstanding. Great. 
and say it with enthusiasm and say it like you mean it, right? Right. That's awesome. So uh, talking to successful mortgage brokers, they always have systems and processes, and it sounds like you're definitely no exception to this, and they're also willing to adjust and tweak those processes in order to get a better result. So I want to ask you about, at first anyway, about an administrative process. So can you tell me about an administrative process that maybe wasn't working as well as you would have liked, and then a tweak you made and what the outcome was? This is, and I think you, when you talk to most brokers of a team, this is always an ongoing, an ongoing not issue, but it's, it's something that you're always tweaking. I'd say that one of the things that made us successful with being able to do the type of volume that we do is structuring it and trying to, you know, kind of the Henry Ford thing, trying to make sure that you have people doing roles that they're most they're best suited for. So what we did is we broke down the, the mortgage process into, I don't recall the exact number, it's between 18 and 22 different processes. So there's, you know, you have a lead, you're, uh, you're seeking the application, you receive the application, it's been entered, you've requested documents from the client, et cetera, and you, you go through that list. And what we did is, is we assigned it so that ideally what I wanted was I wanted the clients to feel like I was doing everything when really I wasn't. So they could always reach me on the phone, they could always email me, and I'd have the time to talk to them. But behind the scenes, once that application is in, my underwriting manager would be sending them the list of the documents they need, and they'd send it directly back to him. He would package up the deal, figure out what they qualified for. He'd relay that to me. I'd contact the client, let them know, okay, what product do you want? So anything that was high-level, macro-level, I would deal with. And anything that was a micro level, uh, detail oriented, that's something that my staff can handle. And, and that's, a, again, a work in progress. And, you know, it, the cool thing about that, that setting it up and breaking and itemizing that is that no matter how big your team is, you can still find a way to assign the, the uh, different tasks to different roles as long as you are tracking that properly and, and have the right system. Mm-hmm. You kind of, you remind me of a young Peter Matheny. I don't know if you've heard of, do you know who Peter Matheny is? No. So he's a broker with Mortgage Architects out of uh, Toronto, and his business is very much like a assembly line, and he does a very large volume with a really small team, and everybody knows, plays, does their part, right? And he's like, he calls himself the point guard, basically. He's the guy who, you know, makes sure everything everybody's in the right spot, but then, yeah, it's, it sounds like you're doing the exact same thing. So good for you for getting that sorted already. It'll make a big difference in 10 years when your book of business is bigger and, and you're writing, you know, a couple hundred million a year. And when the kids start coming too, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. So yeah. I want to switch now gears to the sales process because uh, successful mortgage brokers always have a sales process as well. They don't just show up and hope for the best. And so can you share me maybe a part of your sales process that wasn't working as well as you would like and then an adjustment you made and what kind of outcome you got? Sales process that didn't work. You know, it, it's hard because sales is such a broad topic, right? There's, I think that the sales process is a, a, is a very long drawn out process where it's, it's all small little incremental steps. So the big thing or big key for me is that eventually as a, as a newer broker, eventually you feel like you get to the point where you can get off the phone with somebody after you have that initial discussion and you know how that conversation went. You know whether they, they're going to walk away from that conversation and think, wow, that guy was great. Or you might feel, you know what, I don't think I nailed it. And so the next conversation you have with them, you make sure to go back to points that maybe you had missed. When I first started, I had a script because it was important to make sure that you got across all of those important points, but eventually you can work away from reading that script and, and make sure you still hit the points, but in a much more organic and fluid way. I think one, you know, if you want to talk about failures and successes, I think one thing that I did tweak is taking a little bit more control. 
I'd always been service-oriented, and, and one of the problems that comes along with that is that people will treat you like a doormat if you act like a doormat. If you don't make it a firm process, okay, great, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do, I'm going to do this, and this is what I need for you to do. You need to clear, give them clear direction on what you expect from them. You know, ask them when they think they're going to get documents back to you. Set that expectation because now they have in their mind, they have a date that, oh, yeah, I was supposed to get this stuff for Kyle on Thursday. And then you follow up with them Friday if they haven't given it to you, right? So they, they're saying they're in that uh, race car and they're just going forward because you continue to just push them forward and through that process. My old boss, uh, one of his the uh, things that he said is time is the killer of all deals. And I think that's an important one to keep in mind. And most of my sales process is trying to get them from start to finish as fast as possible and really taking control of the, uh, of the situation and, and the uh, process. Time is the killer of all deals. I've never heard that before. That should be like a first national slogan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should sell it to them. We'll say, hey, look, uh, we're going to patent this and then sell it to First Nat. Yeah, we should mm-hmm. make some good money. I mean, that's, I mean, if you think about it, why? that's got to be the main reason I send my deals to First National, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely there is a value proposition in, in being fast. And that's something that I find that I can generally beat the banks on speed. And the faster you go through the process and just keep going, okay, this is the next step, this is the next step, this is the next step, the faster you go through that, the less likely they are to take a step back and think, oh, do I need another opinion or do I need to talk to anybody or whatever. It just it really, uh, it really makes things smoother and they, uh, they feel better about using you as, your, as their broker. Right. And it takes away that time also can create stress if somebody's waiting and waiting and waiting and then the anxiety builds up and then it just it leads to more problems. Absolutely. Yep. Another theme that I've noticed talking to successful brokers is this uh, need to diversify. And it seems to me that there's two camps in this diversification thing. There's first camp says, nope, you don't need to just stick to mortgage brokering. That's enough. And there's another camp that says, no, actually, we, you should get, you know, share of wallet. You've got relationship. You've got that, you know, trust built. And I just so I just wanted to know where you fell on that the diversification conversation, as well as if you are diversifying, what area are you focusing on? Question. So I believe in, I believe that both models can work. However, Right now, my at this stage, I'm focusing on the brokerage side of things and actually focusing on, on mainly a niche because I found that if there's no real reason for a client to want to or need to work with you specifically, it's a lot harder to work with just a generic person who has, yes, you have some good information and, and knowledge, but there's no real specific reason that they should be dealing with you over their bank because if you don't have a specific value proposition, then you're all about rate, really, when it comes down to it, right? You can show them how to save money on, you know, by paying down the mortgage more aggressively mm-hmm. and what. They just could, they'll walk back to their bank with that information and and get them to match whatever rate you put put in forth uh, put uh, put forth. So, that being said, I really do feel that long term that I've had this idea in my head building more of a, a financial hub. So, having a financial planner on, you know, in the office having a commercial broker that's on my team instead of a commercial broker that's simply within Mortgage Alliance so that I can control that aspect of things and and have a bigger share of wallet, as you said. You know, putting together a couple of those individuals, insurance, you know, even house insurance, car insurance, that kind of stuff, trying to find a way to pool all that together. The problem with that is that I do think that that's going to take a lot of effort and it could take away from my core business for a period of time. And so my focus right now is really to get this machine well-oiled, working with or without me first. And once I've really got that down pat, then I feel a little bit more comfortable looking at uh, creating other streams of income once I know that 
my mortgage stream of income can work without my 100% attention on it. Right. So diversification, but just not yet, not until you're, you have everything else dialed in a little more the way you want. Yeah. And, and uh, I remember speaking with a, uh, another broker about this not too long ago. In fact, I mean, I think he's a part of your uh, podcast right now with Dustin Woodhouse. He's a uh, mm-hmm. known Dustin for quite a while and we, uh, we have good chats here and there. And one of the things that he mentioned too, as I was mentioning, I can't remember, but Something along the lines of you know create diversifying, creating other streams of income. And he, one of the things he mentioned is I've been down this road in brokerage and other things, and you got to just stick with your core business and make that work for you. You know, it's otherwise you take your focus away. And next thing you know, you look back at it and you realize that your your mortgage sales have dropped significantly because you're not part of that process. And if I can find a way to ensure that the mortgage business does not drop when it's not a core focus of mine. That would be the, the first thing for me to focus on now and then to uh, to eventually branch off and look at other revenue streams. Right. So, yeah, you're, Dustin is a machine, by the way. And, yeah, yeah. so you basically set some milestones for yourself so that you'd be like, hey, if I get to this point, then that's when I'd look at it. Otherwise, just keep your head down and focused and, you know, churning out mortgage business. Yeah, and a couple of the things that I have been looking at because I do work with a lot of real estate investors is looking at setting up a MIC or a REIT. The only problem with those, again, is that it would take focus away from my core business. And with mix and REITs, you really have to have, in my opinion, economies of scale. If you have a million-dollar mix or REIT, it's not going to make you any money, and it's not worth it. But if you have a, a $50 million uh, mix or REIT, in order to manage that, you have to take a lot of your focus away from your core business. And the problem is if you raise too much money, you now have to find a way to place all of that and without the right distribution channels. And, and you have to focus a lot on that business all of a sudden. Without the distribution channels, the return will be too low for the investors. And if you lower the amount of cash you have so it's easier to place the money, then you're not making enough money. So it's a really fine balance, I find. And I think that you'd have to, to you know, put a lot of focus on building a MIC or a REIT if I was to do it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's a great Japanese proverb. It says, chase two hairs and catch none. And it's yeah. just this idea. And I try to remind myself of that because I'm the kind of guy who's like, oh, I can do this and I can do that. And, but just stick to the one thing that's working and it's proven. And, you know, maybe at some point change things, but not while this is still working so well. Yeah, exactly. So I actually want to circle back to something you'd said earlier. So you, you're involved with Aussie Jurek. And so you, can you just share a little bit about how you made that connection and then maybe some of the, some, how are some of the ways that you've used that to build your mortgage business? Well, yeah, I have a, I'll give you a little bit of background here. So, again, Meridian Mortgage Services had about 22 franchises and I was working for their head office. Aussie Jurok owned a franchise of Meridians. And he had a, a broker that was, um, that was part of that team that was working under his franchise. And that broker decided to leave and do his own thing. So he needed a replacement. Initially... There was three of us, myself, Michelle Beat, and uh, Melissa Beat, who was a, another daughter of, of Susan Cowling. And we all were, were a team in that environment. It didn't take too long to realize that it, I was really interested in it. I don't know if the other two really were in, in, as in interested in the investing side of things. I, even if I was not a broker, I would be interested in being you know, a member of that group, right? So it, eventually it also came down to the fact that it's a lot easier to brand one person than it is to brand a team. Mm-hmm. And so it, it eventually just kind of became my gig. It just seemed like it was the best fit. And we came to a, a, a mutual agreement between Ozzy Jurok and my franchise owners and everybody that I would be the guy. And uh, shortly after that, I started doing some public speaking with Ozzy's group. I remember very clearly that 
I think we had done a couple of events with Aussie Duroc, the very large events where usually there's six or 700 people at, at these events, and we were just having a booth. And, you know, we get some clients out of it, but not a huge amount of traction. One year, Aussie came to me in the morning and he said, Kyle, the other mortgage broker can't make it. We need you to speak at 1.30. And I said, hold on here. That's I'm pretty awesome. sure I was 20 years old, 20, I think I was about 20. And, and I just said, sure, I'll do it. And I think that was a big key. A lot of people, I feel, that would have just shriveled up and said, there's no way. But I said, sure, let's do it. But how are we going to do it? Because they don't have content. And so we just sat there in the lunch break and brainstormed um, right before my uh, before I was up. All I, all I did is he said, Kyle, give me some questions to ask you. Because if you just talked, if I talk in front of a group of people like that, no problem. Having a presentation and whipping one up, it would be tough for me to get up there. I could probably do it now, but... At the time, it'd be pretty difficult for me to go up there with no presentation and talk for 45 minutes. So the Q&A really worked well. After I did that, I had a group of people that mobbed me up at the stage, followed me back to my booth, and immediately after that, I said, Ozzy, I'm speaking at every one of your events from now on. Now, to build off of that, something that kind of came up that was a huge success for me and I had no idea that it would be this big for me was I made a spreadsheet for myself to help analyze real estate deals. So I was looking at investment properties myself, and I said, ah, this pen and paper thing is kind of silly. I'm going to make a spreadsheet because I'm a bit of an Excel nerd. Mm -hmm. So I made a cool spreadsheet, and as I was talking to clients, I realized that most of them were doing pen and paper or very, they had other poor methods of analyzing real estate. So what I did is I made it a little more consumer-friendly, spiced it up, of course, put my beautiful picture at the top with my contact info, and and started promoting it at the Aussie events as a free tool. And as soon as I started doing that, I'd have 100 to 200 people each event sign up for the newsletter to get a copy of of my spreadsheet. So I think now I probably have about 2,900 people on my on my newsletter list. You know, most of those signed up for it because they were getting a free tool. But even just on last Monday at Aussie Jurok's monthly group, I had a 15-minute presentation. I literally was just showing people how to work with a spreadsheet, and I had about five leads come out of that, five solid leads, just because I was giving away something for free. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's awesome. I'm glad I asked you about the Aussie Jurok connection because I wouldn't have got all this awesome content if I would have just... So I heard you say it, and I'm like, i got to come back to that because I know that there's a story there. And if you're, the, kind of, if you're his guy, then you know that didn't happen by accident. Yeah, for sure. And he was apprehensive at first because, uh, again, I was a 19-year-old, 20-year-old you know, guy at the time, right? But uh, he showed some faith in me and, uh, and I returned it. So you know, I, I like to say that I got a little lucky, but at the same time, too, when an opportunity is in front of you, you've got to take the bull by the horns and, and run with it, right? And just jump on it. That's awesome. Yeah. Now I'm going to move to the rapid-fire questions. You can answer these with little shorter answers if you like. So what is the number one thing holding back most mortgage brokers from being successful? Asking for business. And what one thing or habit do you think has made you successful? Asking for business. <laughs> okay, um, I have to ask. How do you what's what's your how do you ask for business? So give me an example of what what you do. Every time you close a mortgage, you got to ask. Do you know any friends or family that need a that are looking for a mortgage? You know, just just do me a favor and keep me in mind. I'd really appreciate it. I think another thing to to take a step back and answer that a different way. When I became self-employed, I just told myself I'm going to be working eight hours a day. And at first, that was two hours a deal or two hours a day on files and six hours a day going out and just meeting people. And eventually, it's not eight hours a day anymore. It's a lot more than that. But to start my business, I treated it like I was a salaried employee going to the office and working eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. In fact, that might even be more important than, uh, than asking for business in the beginning. Right. That's awesome. 
And so do you have an internet resource or software program you use to make your business more successful other than your killer spreadsheet you created? Spreadsheet. I'm using ACT for the for the background operation side of things. Like I was talking about breaking down the uh, the sales or the just the process into uh, items. We use Dropbox. I'm using Office 365, and I must say I love it. Right. You're not the first person who's told me about it. I'm gonna have to check it out because I've heard good things a few times from people. You know, it's it's the online file storage is huge. And I can access it from anywhere. If my computer blows up tomorrow, all I have to do is start up a new computer get uh, Office 365 on it, log in, and boom, all my emails are there, all my files are still uh, online, everything is there. So I, I love it. And it's it is really good for, it's an insurance policy, right? Right. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be? The Happiness Advantage. Right, that goes back to your quote, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> yep. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be giving that to a friend in the next day or two. <laughs> Sweet. So where do you think our industry is headed? Where's the opportunity? This is a tough one. I think you, from a just a streamline from the brokering side of things, from just setting up a mortgage, I think that you, if you're going to be in the cookie cutter business, I think you have to be prepared to be in that rate buy down business. The problem is that a lot of people that are the, under the cookie cutter clients are going online searching up mortgage rates before they talk to you. You're going to have to be prepared to buy down rates quite a bit, and I think that's unfortunately going to be part of the future of our business. And so I think you have to be prepared for that. Or the other opportunity here is instead of competing on rates and fighting over the easy-to-do business, maybe it's time to start finding a way of educating your clients. And I think that education, educational-based marketing via our websites, via materials is, is a great opportunity. And for myself personally, I don't run into a whole lot of this back and forth on, uh, on rate discussion because my investors are using me because they trust me. They're getting advice from me that they've never gotten from anybody else before. And I think that that, uh, that value means that they're less inclined to talk to their bank and get rates to be matched, et cetera. I think the last, to, I know this is a, supposed to be a rapid fire, but the last thing is, uh, as you mentioned, other sources. And I think that a lot of the brokerages are working on doing leasing, uh, GICs, all these other financial products. And I think that may be the way of the future if we can find a way to get it all to come together, which might be a challenge, but we'll see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. So here's the last question. It's one of my favorites, the DeLorean question. Remember the movie Back to the Future? Yep. And so in the movie, the DeLorean's this car, you can travel in time. So if I could set the DeLorean to your first day as a mortgage broker uh, eight years ago and send you back to have a conversation with yourself, what three things would you tell yourself so your business would be bigger and better today? Number one, I'd probably say, you know what, uh, tell people what you want them to do. I think that to be a little bit more forceful as far as uh, just making sure that the process is moving forward, being faster. I made the mistake of not getting clients to sign up right away after the approval was done and getting that done a little closer to closing. That's a mistake that uh, I definitely learned from. Number three, that's a tough one. From my very first day, I would say, I think it would be trying to focus on systems a little bit earlier trying to break down that process, finding ways. I mean, it's, it's crazy, but I just made templates for some of the things that I do all day long, every time. I finally made templates about six or nine months ago. So why not template, when you send an application, template that email. When you send out the required, the documents that you need, template that. Otherwise, you're sitting there typing it over and over again. You could speed yourself up substantially by just templating a few of those things that you keep sending out to clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's great advice. So tell people what you want them to do, so be a little bit more direct be faster and start focusing on those systems sooner so that as you scale, you'll be able to not like drop the ball and create stress. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kyle, I have totally enjoyed this interview, man. How do people find you online? KyleGreen.ca. And are you guys hiring? 
soon it will be greenmortgageteam.cm, literally in the, in the process of changing my website and going back to that education-based marketing and enhancing it quite a bit. So uh, either one of those websites will, uh, will direct you and, and you'll find me. Green mortgage. So like your mortgages are green. There's no like paper or anything in them. What was that? Your green mortgages, you know, like they're, they're good for the environment. Yeah, I'll eventually come up with something that uh, that ties into that. <laughs> right, and I think TD had a mortgage like that. I don't. Know, the rate was higher too. Doing. There was a time when one lender had a green mortgage, like, and it was the rate was higher. And I don't really know why you were paying a higher rate for a mortgage that had this sort of it was kind of interesting, but. You know, on a free paperless here in the office, I guess that's kind of going green, right? Right. Cool, man. <laughs> well, hey, I hope you absolutely rock the rest of your year, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Where the best mortgage brokers get better. I love mortgage brokering with your host, Scott Peckford. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Have you joined our VIP club for mortgage brokers yet? If not, you're missing out. We share exclusive content not available on the web or the show. We share scripts, step-by-step guides, and other insider tips to help you save time and make you more money. I can't tell you how many times after I turn off the recorder, a guest starts sharing some awesome advice or a script or, or a tip and I take the best of this and share it with my VIPs. If you want to get on the list, visit ilovemortgagebrokering.com slash VIP. That's ilovemortgagebrokering.com slash VIP. Oh, and one other thing. Since this is exclusively for mortgage brokers, there is a skill testing question. Good luck, and I hope you continue to rock your mortgage biz.